Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our text uh, this morning is found in the Old Testament uh, book of Ruth, and we're going to be reading chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Ruth, chapter 4, 13 through 17. This is what God says. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighboring women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. You may be seated. The anniversary is fast approaching, and many people still don't realize how significant a day it is. I read a story once about a wife who, uh, early in the morning, asked her husband, you do remember what today is, don't you? The husband hesitated briefly, and then he said, of course I do. But he didn't have a clue. And all day long at work, he was struggling to remember what the day was. Was it her birthday? Was it their engagement, uh, their marriage? He just couldn't remember. So to uh, cover himself, he sent his wife a dozen long-stemmed roses, bought her some expensive perfume, and then took her out to dinner that night. At the end of the dinner, the wife looked at her husband and she said, you really don't know what today is, do you? And the husband just hung his head and said, no, really I don't, I'm sorry. She said, you silly sentimental fool, it's Groundhog Day. Well, to make an insignificant day significant is laughable, but to make a significant day insignificant is a tragedy. And the day that I'm talking about is January the 22nd, 1973. On that day, the Supreme Court of this country ruled that unborn children were no longer entitled to legal protection under the Constitution of the United States. On that day, the Supreme Court of this country devalued the life of a child to nothing. On that day, the Supreme Court of this country overturned the divine opinion that children are a gift from God and a blessing and ruled bad 
what God had called good. That was a significant day in the history of our country. And a lot of people, I might even say the majority of people in our country, have agreed with our Supreme Court about the low value of a child. Recently in a national magazine, they carried an article about couples who were choosing to remain childless. And their rationale was anything but noble. It seems like in their system of values, there was hardly anything that wasn't more valuable than a child. Things like expensive cars, fine wines, exotic vacations. But even couples who haven't chosen to remain childless also seem to have adopted that same system of values in pursuit of the almighty dollar and a higher and a higher standard of living or some other lifestyle choice, they have neglected the emotional, the intellectual, and the spiritual development of their children. What God has called good, they have called bad. Set against this humanistic system of values, though, is the biblical system of values. And what we find in God's word is that children are of immeasurable value. What makes them so valuable? Well, according to our text in Ruth, there are two features that make children of immeasurable value. The first feature that makes children of immeasurable value is their origin. People today have forgotten that children are a gift from God, that God is the creator of all humankind, that apart from his sovereign action, no child is or can be conceived. People today have lost their wonder at the miracle of life. They have become too sophisticated to believe in the divine origin of life. This uh, little parable that was published in the London Observer, I think, describes very well the attitude people today have about God's involvement in our world. It goes like this. Imagine a family of mice who lived all their lives in a large piano. To them in their piano world came the music of the instrument, filling all the dark spaces with sound and harmony. At first, the mice were impressed by it. They drew comfort and wonder from the thought that there was someone who made the music, though invisible to them, above yet close to them. They loved to think of the great player whom they could not see. Then one day, a daring mouse climbed up part of the piano and returned very thoughtful. He had found out how the music was made. Wires were the secret, 
tightly stretched wires of graduated lengths which trembled and vibrated. They must revise all their old beliefs. None but the most conservative could any longer believe in the unseen player. Later, another explorer carried the explanation further. Hammers were now the secret. Numbers of hammers dancing and leaping upon the wires. This was a more complicated theory, but it all went to show that they lived in a purely mechanical and mathematical world. The unseen player came to be thought of as a myth. But the pianist continued to play. People today remind me of children who think that milk comes from cartons or gasoline comes from pumps. They're out of touch with reality. They don't really understand the source of all of their blessings, of all of the things that they enjoy. But the biblical record is very clear that children are a gift from God, that God is the creator of all humankind, and that apart from God and his sovereign action, no child can be or is conceived. Listen to these verses, and this is by no means an exhaustive list from the Bible. Because this statement that we find in the book of Ruth is not an isolated statement. The statement that we find in 4.13, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. This is from Genesis 4.1. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of God. In Genesis 25, 24, or excuse me, 21, it says, And Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. 1 Samuel 1.20, And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. In Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the the womb is a reward. Psalm 139.13 and 14, For thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In Luke 1.13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, For your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Matthew 1.20, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Children are not made in Hong Kong, Japan, or even the good old USA. They are made in heaven, and they are made in a very special way. They are made in the image of God, to know him and to reflect his qualities. This is why all human life 
is sacred. Human life is not valuable because of anything we have done, but because of what God has done in creating us. And this is why the Bible demands the death penalty for people who intentionally and maliciously take that life. To abort a child or to neglect its emotional, intellectual, and spiritual well-being after it has been born is nothing less than an act of vandalism against heaven. So children are of immeasurable value in the first place because of the origin. They are a gift from God. God is their creator, and they are created in his image. And the second feature that makes children of immeasurable value is their purpose. God intends for children to be a blessing, not a burden. The Bible tells us that having children is a sign of God's favor and a source of prosperity. I just read Psalm 127.3, that children are a heritage from the Lord. They are a reward from God. Now, I know this goes against today's humanistic philosophy. Today, children are thought of primarily as burdens and a sure source of poverty. But who are you going to believe? The humanists or God? Back in 1968, some of you will remember back that far, in 1968, a guy by the name of Paul Ehrlich an ecologist wrote a book called The Population Bomb. This is the way the book began. This is the first sentence in the book. The battle to feed all of humanity is over. In the 1970s, hundreds of millions of people will starve to death in spite of any crash programs embarked upon now. At this late date, nothing can prevent a substantial increase in the world death rate. And yet, nothing could be further from the truth. Julian Simon, a professor of economics at the University of Illinois, and later on a professor of business administration at the University of Maryland, took exception to Paul Ehrlich's thesis. And his book, was entitled The Ultimate Resource, in which he postulated that population growth was a boon to nations and not a disadvantage. That the more people you had in a country, the more prosperous you would be. He made a bet with Paul Ehrlich in 1980 he told Paul Ehrlich to choose any natural resource he wanted, whether it was grain, oil, coal, timber, metals, whatever, and a future date. And if after that period of time had passed, the price of those natural resources had increased, 
it would prove that population growth was a bad thing. But if it decreased, then it would prove that population growth was a good thing. In October of 1980, Paul Ehrlich bet $1,000 on five different metals, chrome, copper, nickel, tin, and tungsten. If after the 10 years passed, the price adjusted for inflation was more than it was in 1980, then Simon would owe Ehrlich the difference. But if it were less than that, then Ehrlich would owe Simon the difference. Well, in October of 1990, Paul Ehrlich wrote a check to Julian Simon for $576.07. In other words, although the population actually had increased enormously during that decade, the fact of the matter is the natural resources had become actually less expensive by almost 50%. You see, Simon realized that God intends people as a blessing. They're a gift from God. They are not intended to impoverish us, but instead to prosper us. By the way, Japan is suffering right now from a population decline, has been for a number of years And when your missionary, Tom Mirabella, was here, uh, I forget when, last year exactly, but uh, he was here for your missions conference, and we were talking about this, and he said Japan has really changed its mind about population growth. They did everything they could because of things that had been written, like what Paul Ehrlich wrote, to decrease the population. But now they were finding that it was affecting them negatively, economically. And so now Japan has embarked upon a policy of encouraging people to have children. And Tom Mirabella said it was a shame that his family wasn't Japanese because they have five children and they could probably be self-supporting in Japan uh, today with that many kids. Who are you going to believe, the humanists or God? God says that children are a gift from God. That they are intended as a blessing to prosper us. And another feature about children that makes them immeasurably valuable is the fact that God intends our children as a comfort and not as a nuisance in our old age. He and children are a provision of God for our old age. Look at what the women in Bethlehem said uh, to Naomi. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. 
It's true that children often speed up our aging process. (laughs) But still, God intends them to be a comfort to us and not a nuisance. And he intends for them to be a provision for our old age. I remember when uh, my wife's grandmother died at the tender age of 97, how impressed I was with the fact that her mother had taken early retirement to take care of Nana. Nana was a very dignified woman, I'm sure very much like Virginia Newell. And I don't think that she would have done well in a nursing home environment. Her daughter was willing to give up her plans for life to take care of her mother. And she didn't just receive the love and the care of her daughter. She also received the care and the love of her granddaughter, my wife, and her great-granddaughters, our children. After Nana died, Susan's mom wrote these letters to our girls, <coughs> excuse me, to our oldest Sarah, she wrote, you will find enclosed a check, not many packages this year, but the check is paid out of our inheritance from Nana. I know you loved her and she loved you very much. I'm so thankful that her last years were spent close to you so she could enjoy you and you could be with her and know her well enough to always remember her. To our middle daughter, Emily, she said, your kind, oh, excuse me, you knew Nana loved you very much. And I was always so pleased when you came over to see us. She loved to have you ride on the arm of her wheelchair and kiss and hug her. You were always so sweet to her. And to our third daughter, Hannah, she wrote, You were always so kind to her. And she loved to have you play with her and brush her hair and tickle her feet and wheel her around. I don't care how well-staffed a nursing home is or how well-trained and how well-paid the staff is. They can never provide the kind of comfort and love that children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren can provide. That That is God's provision for us in our old age. I know some of you here are at Parkway Village. Uh, Ella Ann uh, is in the congregation this morning, and a friend of ours, Jimmy Koistra, who is a friend of, well, actually their in-laws, uh, is at Parkway Village as well. And they have frequently told me how much it means for their daughter, Martha Ann, to come and to visit them. If you've ever been to Parkway Village, it's it's really a state-of-the-art nursing home. 
but it, it can't provide that comfort and love that children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren provide. This last week, uh, I was at uh, Nellie Breedlove's funeral. And in preparing for that funeral, I had to find uh, Nellie's daughter-in-law's email. And when I looked at it, I couldn't believe it because it starts with children are a gift. And she should know. She has 12. And I thought, but that's what God's word says. Children are a gift. And I called Randy last night to offer to pick him up and bring him to church this morning. And he told me, he said, no, I have a writer. And I know what a comfort it is to Randy to have Abigail with him here this morning. Again, no matter how well-staffed and how well-trained and how well-paid people are in nursing homes, they will never be able to provide the kind of comfort and love that God provides to us through our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. Don't ever fail to wonder at the miracle of life. You know, when something happens frequently and with regularity, we tend to take it for granted. The sun rises and the sun sets every day and often accompanied by much beauty and we think little of it. Yet apart from the sovereign action of God, that wouldn't happen. Winter and fall And springtime and harvest come around year after year after year, and yet, apart from the sovereign action of God, that would never happen. Don't ever cease to wonder at the miracle of life and what God can accomplish through one single child. Rosemary Benet, a poet, wrote this poem entitled Nancy Hanks. It goes like this. If Nancy Hanks came back as a ghost, seeking news of what she loved most, she'd ask first, where's my son? What happened to Abe? What's he done? Poor little Abe left all alone except for Tom, who's a rolling stone. I was only nine the year I died. I remember still how hard he cried, scraping along in a little shack with hardly a shirt to cover his back and a prairie wind to blow him down. You wouldn't know about my son. Did he grow tall? Did he have fun? Did he learn to read? Did he get to town? Do you know his name? Did he get on? Nancy Hanks, of course, with Abraham Lincoln's mother. Do you think she ever would have believed what God was able to accomplish through that 
poor, raggedy little boy that she had to leave at the age of nine. But there's even a greater illustration for us in scripture that's mentioned in our text. Verse 17 says, So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David, who we could also say was the father of Jesus. Remember that the time of the judges was a time of spiritual darkness, a time when everybody did what was right in his own heart. I'm sure people back then thought that Israel would never recover from how far they had fallen away from God. And yet, in the darkest of times, God, through the gift of a child, was preparing not only an earthly king, but also a heavenly king who would save his people from their sins. Think of what a blessing that gift of God through one solitary child has been to this fallen, broken world. Don't ever lose your wonder at the miracle of life and what God can do through our children. God tells us that these children are of immeasurable value because of their origin. They are a gift from God. They are created in his image. And he intends them as a blessing, not as a burden. He intends them to be a comfort, not a nuisance. They are his provision for our old age. So please, as we approach this very significant anniversary, don't give up in standing up for biblical values. Stand against that humanistic system of values that says that children are a burden and a sure cause of poverty. Instead, proclaim what we have in God's word, that children are a blessing from the Lord, and that God is nothing but good in blessing us with them. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are constantly having to fight the war of values that goes on around us. It's so easy to be led astray by the seeming wisdom of the world. And sometimes we are told that the wisdom that we find in your word, that your wisdom is archaic, that it no longer applies. Father, We know that's not true. Father, teach us to fear you, to reject the pressure of giving in to the system of values that the world teaches, and instead to hold on to your word, which is true and which endures forever. Amen.